Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. I'm excited to introduce you today to our newest Thomas Next Gen for Industry, which is a quarterly recognition awarded to an outstanding young professional for their achievements in industry, innovative thinking, and exemplary thought leadership. Our latest Next Gen for Industry winner is Rose Celestin, who is the Senior Strategic Sourcing Lead at WSSC Water. Rose started her industrial career at only 14 years old and has been blazing a trail through the supply chain ranks ever since, quickly becoming a leader for the next generation of supply chain managers. She's also contributed her perspectives to Forbes and is a frequent contributor to Thomas Insights. In today's episode, our editorial producer, Lindsay Gilder, sits down with Rose as she shares her predictions for the future of the industrial supply chain based on her recent observations across the sector. They'll also discuss the ongoing shifts in diversity across the industry, how industrial leaders can become more aware of and address unconscious bias in their business practices, and how young professionals can learn to maintain an effective work-life balance. Hey, Rose, thanks again for joining me on the Thomas Industry Update podcast. We're so excited to have you. You spoke a couple weeks ago after you were nominated as our Q2 Next Gen for Industry. And congrats, by the way. But there was one thing that really stuck with me, which was, well, who in their right mind would really hire a 14-year-old anyway? (laughs) But someone did, and you were that 14-year-old. So why don't we start by talking about how you started your career in supply chain and how that got to where you are today. Okay, sure. So, of course, as you mentioned, my career in industry began at the age of 14. And the way that came about is that, so for one, I've always had a very ambitious nature. Um, that's just kind of like the personality that I've always had as far as the personality trait. But one Sunday, um, one of my members, she made an announcement that she was hiring. And that caught my attention because for some reason, I just wanted to make some money on my own. And so I was fortunate and daring enough to convince my former boss to hire me, although I was very young and didn't really have much of an idea of what I was getting myself into. I didn't really think of the opportunity as first as a solid career path because I did remember wanting to be a surgeon when I grew up. But I think because I was always willing to go above and beyond, that, that really impressed her in a way and so much that um, it made her really want to just dive in and really put so much effort into polishing me into a groomed professional. So she'd do um, a lot of good things like fly me out to meetings, conferences and events. And then also, too, she was a very respected procurement executive, especially in the state of Arkansas. And, and you know, with um, being in public procurement, there is a lot of risk and liability because there are a lot of laws and statutes tied to being in public procurement. And so for her to just put her reputation on the line like that and just take such a humongous risk on me, that's something that I'll be forever grateful for because that's something that you don't hear too often. But yeah, so she definitely did take me on her wings when she was able to groom me from an entry-level purchasing technician to top recruitment executive in her organization. Wow, that's just such an amazing journey. I I wish I had such a cool life story. It's actually funny that you mentioned that you initially wanted to be a surgeon because I remember doing something similar. I entered college and I wanted to be an occupational therapist mm-hmm. and ended up abruptly switching to English. So kind of a full 180 and, but I think it worked out for the best, honestly. Yeah. I'm like really happy where I'm at now and I get to have these great conversations with people like you. So Mm -hmm. you 
entered the industry and you kind of went on this great path and now you're at WSSC Water. What are some projects you're currently working on? Most recently, I worked directly with senior executive leadership to lead a strategic sourcing team on a project that we call invoice standardization. And basically within this project, we're looking to achieve an annualized savings of up to $3 million and pay 90% of approved invoices within 30 days. So some of the activities that's involved in that, um, I've definitely worked closely with our CFO and deputy general manager to create an in-house invoice analytics dashboard for our end users to use. Um, And then we did that by using the internal IT resources. And um, basically, we're going to be able to use that dashboard and also surveying ongoing KPI analysis to propose a total cost of ownership model for a sourcing approach for a software solution that we currently have underway. And personally, I think that digital disruption is a real issue in the industrial workplace, just as the economic disruption that we're facing with COVID-19 right now. And so being able to use my expertise to promote digital transformation that's in line with evolving and progressive industry trends, that's something that I'm proud of. Yeah, absolutely. We talk a lot about digital transformation here. The industry is definitely a little reluctant to take it on. So we've noticed not so much with the big brands, but more so with like the mom and pops, the small businesses, because it's it's a hard transition to make, especially when everything that you have right now is working, you know? Right. And So it's hard to make that switch, especially when you're not familiar with the technology and it can be expensive to do so. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what we ended up talking about is that digital transformation is going to be vital to kind of making sure your business stays relevant in the next few years. Yeah. And then also too, you know, we kind of hear these buzzwords that's being thrown around a lot, like AI and 3D printing and blockchain. And um, I think they, they're being thrown around so much because they serve as indicators of how the supply chain industry is continuously undergoing transformation. And when you think back to the era of disruption that caused so many fortune companies to go bankrupt back in the early 2000s, you know, we kind of remember how that they just simply lacked that strategic capacity to keep up with market transformations. And, you know, um, these companies like Kodak, and Blockbuster, we don't really hear much about them anymore. And so that just goes to show you the importance of just close monitoring new trends in the marketplace, and then also plan for disruption from a holistic standpoint, and then also use um, prior lessons learned to build a more resilient supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the disruptions that have come from COVID-19 have definitely taught people that they need to be planning better for disruptions. Mm -hmm. So it's like almost impossible to have known that something like this would come, especially on such a, like a level of disruption. Right. You can only prepare so much. And like, this was like the equivalent of like a big tornado hitting the entire manufacturing industry. But right. now we're starting to see recovery and we're starting to see a lot of these vital steps towards planning, especially in reshoring and kind of figuring out that you need to be more aware of where your products are coming from, which is, I think, long overdue in the industry. We've been kind of taking for granted not only in industry, but in general, I, now I think we might be starting to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be really exciting. You talked about actually the 2000s disruption that occurred with technological transformation, which brings me to the fact that you have been in the industry for a while. You entered as a young female minority, and you've kind of really paved such a great career path for yourself. What advice would you give to other budding industry professionals? 
So first thing that I want to touch on is just being a young millennial female. I think that definitely has its challenges, especially in our, our age range. We're very involved in social media. And so I think a lot of focus is definitely going to come into play because and in the way you carry your professional brand and also your personal brand, that also there has to be a balance. I think it's important to give attention to your personal life, but also uh, make sure that you're definitely leveraging your professional brand as well all across the board. My advice first to be good at what you do, because no matter how likable you are, if you can't get the job done, then there's just no room for you to grow. So I say um, heavily invest in your education and professional development for starters. And then also just definitely position yourself as a thought leader. That doesn't mean that you have to just start off giving extravagant speeches to thousands of people. Just something as simple as joining a professional organization and networking to, you know, gain some type of visibility and establish credibility will help get your feet wet. I also think that as you begin to build your professional network and forge good relationships, um, especially with your peers, you'll start to be more aware of opportunities to contribute to the profession. And then, of course, as you continue to contribute, more and more opportunities will become available. You also don't always have to just wait for someone to notice you. A lot of times you have to take initiative yourself. So just going back to my story back when I was 14, you know, it kind of took a lot of guts for me to just have the nerve to ask her to hire me um, yeah, at the end of the day. <laughs> but I mean, sometimes you just have to take the initiative and just go for it. The worst thing that can happen is someone just says no. Um, so if you have an idea, don't be afraid to approach someone, but also just make sure to be able to show your value in every relationship that you establish. So don't just connect with someone for an opportunity, but just also think about how you're able to help them as well. So I remember with my relationship that I had with my former boss who had hired me at such a young age, um, she relied heavily on me for my tech savviness. So um, I was, I've always really been into technology. Of course, I'm a native of doctor, just based on, you know, my generational age range. So that was very beneficial for her because um, she was a baby boomer. And so having me around, that really just gave her a sense of confidence and knowing that wherever she had her weaknesses, I could strengthen her in that way. So in a way, you have to approach a situation as what can I do to help you? How can I make your job better? And I think people, they appreciate um, that a lot more. But I'll definitely say just don't be discouraged if you feel that your career isn't picking up momentum as fast as you think it should, because um, I believe that consistency is a catalyst if you're patient. So just continue to be good at what you do and then just network as much as you possibly can. That's some great advice. I actually really liked what you said about consistency being a catalyst for career growth. It's so interesting because consistency by nature is not generally disruptive, but you're talking about it being a catalyst to getting a career going. And I think that's so true. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of other things I wanted to touch upon. You talked about building your personal brand. So I actually wrote a column about this a couple weeks ago. One of the things I discussed was being a millennial and having a social media presence and how that can kind of play into your career. We kind of need to change the conversation about that because social media, yes, is incredibly powerful and you should think about what you're posting, but you can also use that to your advantage because what you want when people Google you or when people find your Facebook or find your Instagram online is they want to see what you're up to and they want to see that you're accomplishing great things. So I think as future professionals, and our generation begin to enter the workforce, that's something they need to think about. They need to be able to capitalize on what they're posting and have hiring professionals see like, 
wow, she seems really great based on what I'm seeing just on her social media. And that's not even what she's doing on a professional level, you know? You're actually touching on a really good point because so throughout my career, I've been really blessed to have very supportive bosses. And so as a result, I've been able to travel extensively to many nice places throughout my career. So one of the things that I noticed is that your personal circle tends to be quite different from your professional one, especially on social media. So when we think of platforms like LinkedIn, and we kind of compare them to platforms like Instagram, they're kind of different, right? Because your following tends to be a little different. So one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, on LinkedIn, my professional brand is pretty much, you know, I think that it, it, it gives me a good presence. But then if you go to search my Instagram, you'll see a lot of pictures of these palm trees and beaches and nice hotels, but you'll barely see pictures of me in action and showcasing my professional accomplishments. And so someone from the outside looking in, it's not going to automatically tie those pictures to business meetings and they're, they're not going to know specifically that I was on a business trip. And so just going back to, you know, what you were saying about leveraging your social media, that's something that I have to learn, especially being a young minority female, you know, there's an unconscious bias and some learned stereotypes around, you know, especially young black women always on the go. And so you don't want to leave any room for people to guess or write your narrative for you. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying, you know, to definitely leverage your social media all across the board and not just on LinkedIn. Right. And I think where this is kind of originating from is the perspective of like, you should be slaving away in the office if you want to have a successful career. And Mm -hmm. now, especially in the era of coronavirus and working remotely, I think we're seeing the transition into having a work-life balance instead of either having a career or having a personal life. I definitely agree with you on that. Especially, you know, just going back to what I mentioned earlier, always good to be aware and cognizant of biases, you know, learn stereotypes. And so, for example, let's say that, you know, if I'm a manager in an office and I have a very technical project that I want to give to someone, you know, I may choose to give it to a younger person versus an older person, regardless if that older person is more qualified to do it. And so I think that falls in line with balancing your social media because you don't want to put ideas in people's head. You know, you want to be able to defend your background and defend your credibility. Trying to find that balance can be tricky because, you know, like you said, you, you know, your personal life is just your personal life. You know, you may be at a beach one day and just decide that you just want to post a picture at the beach. And so it's kind of, you know, deciding, well, how to, I guess, balance that. And so that's just something that I've always tried to give attention to it because, you know, like I said, LinkedIn is not the only platform that people will search you on. You know, there are so many other platforms. And so, yeah, there's definitely need to be a balance. So actually, you mentioned something that I wanted to bring up when you were talking about unconscious biases. Mm -hmm. I think, especially nowadays with what's going on in the news, with the protests, the Black Lives Matter movement, unconscious biases are a lot more common than we think. And I don't think we've even fully acknowledged them on a professional scale. Mm -hmm. But now there's definitely going to be more of a priority in creating a diverse culture, not only so we can eliminate the unconscious biases, but also just so we can create kind of a different company culture surrounding innovation. Because as a young female myself, I may be more reluctant to come forward with a really great idea that I might have just because I feel like I'm not on the level as some of the other professionals. And that's maybe not something that someone else would experience. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to other companies in the industry about creating a diverse culture? And what have you experienced as far as diversity thus far? When I think about diversity um, within 
the culture, the first thing that comes to mind is PR branding and workplace toxicity. So, for example, we've been hearing stories lately in the media regarding personal sentiments around, you know, the theme of diversity within organizations and how those feelings can sometimes contradict the overall corporate message of promoting diversity and inclusion. So, for example, um, even just recently, I saw in the news where there was a woman, um, she went to a restaurant with her son and he was dressed in athletic wear. And he was denied entry, whereas there was a similar family of a different racial background and her son pretty much had the same outfit on. But, you know, they were allowed seating. And so, you know, when you see stories like this and you see how companies, they've had to defend their stances on social responsibility and respond to complaints where employees or customers may have raised concerns or experienced some sort of unethical treatment, it kind of gives off the impression that there's still work to be done in promoting diversity and inclusion within corporate culture. So um, I definitely think that it's important for companies to not only voice their support in creating a diverse and inclusive culture, but also ensure that policies around diversity and inclusion are actually producing tangible results, um, especially in terms of employee morale and deliver on the promise by taking actual measures to reduce or even eliminate toxic workplace cultures and create a more inviting environment that's level for all your customers that you serve. For example, I think there should be enforceable policies and procedures in place where employees can report unethical treatment without fear of retaliation. And then also leadership, they have to be poised to effectuate proper change management as well, because diversity and inclusion, I believe, is more of a mindset, if anything. So though it's not possible to control the actions of every single person or employee, but I definitely think that managers should be mentally aligned with corporate efforts to promote diversity and inclusion, and then also be prepared to do what's necessary to, to uphold the company's value and also protect its culture. And then actually, I actually have an, an experience of, I have an example of that could actually really explain how conscious bias and learned stereotypes work. Um, you know, when I think back to my experience of being a leadership contributor for Forbes CFO Network, for one, landing a contributor role on Forbes personally was a major accomplishment that I'm very proud of. It's always been a personal goal of mine. And then so being able to achieve that goal on my own, just, you know, it really gave me a, a sense of confidence in terms of being able to make valuable connections and being a proven thought leader with the track record that was strong enough to even be accepted on such an exclusive network of highly accomplished people. One thing that I noticed, though, is that within the network, not only was I the youngest, but I was also the only Black contributor. And I was brought on the channel initially to, you know, cover insights and advice for CFOs managing and building a robust and resilient supply chain. Because the editor, he initially, you know, he thought that my insights would be new and fresh content. But along the way, it had its challenges. So because I have a youthful appearance, people don't always expect me to know as much as I do or have the level of business acumen that I have. And so in a way, I think that's understandable because most people, they don't know that I started at a very young age and that, you know, I learned from the best. So I think that caught my editor off guard once he was able to put a face to my name. And even though I had similar articles that I published as a market expert with Thomas Insights, I do remember one of the earliest conversations we had when he was considering me, you know, he had made a comment along the lines of, you know, you're your latest supply chain on ThomasNet is really good, but if you really wrote it. And then I also found that like a lot of my drafts, they were met with a lot of skepticism and intense scrutiny because for some reason, he just wasn't convinced that I was really as knowledgeable on the pieces that I was writing on. And, you know, I, I definitely remember spending a lot of time defending my background and trying to prove to him that, you know, I actually knew what I was talking about and my knowledge of supply chains was legit. 
definitely kind of emotionally draining and it did give me some anxiety because it was really the first time I've ever just really experienced, you know, that. But if you really think about it, you know, here I am, you know, a young minority female with no formal finance or accounting background amongst established CFOs writing on advanced topics. So, you know, I feel like that maybe it just didn't click, you know, in his mind. Maybe he was thinking, you know, she's, you know, probably a pretentious wannabe just who was just pretending to be smart and accomplished because just going back to, you know, my age, you know, and just being as youthful and being a minority, uh, I just think that maybe he just didn't think that there was, you know, any possible way that I was supposed to know as much as I did. And so I think, you know, on paper, I may have been a desirable candidate, but, you know, when it came down to my Asian appearance, all that went straight out of the window. And so I think that unconscious bias, it does tie into the theme of diversity and inclusion. But what I've learned is that, you know, you also just have to be able to just know what you bring to the table and just don't let anyone downplay your ability. Definitely be brave enough to leave a situation if you feel like it makes you feel inadequate. Don't be afraid to speak up. But also be very strategic in the way you speak up because your reputation precedes you. You have to remember that, you know, there's a learned stereotype. So, for example, you know, millennials, we get a lot of flack for, you know, not being on the job for very long. And so you just don't want to kind of you don't want to feed into any learned stereotype and fuel any you know preconceived notions. But, you know, you definitely also want to make sure that you're still gracious enough to, you know, just accept whatever happens. But just know that, you know, that that just comes with the territory and it's not the end all. Everyone in their career, you know, no matter what background you come from, you know, they've experienced some type of unconscious bias. So um, although it does tie into diversity and inclusion, it is not just limited to that as well. So um, I'm pretty sure if you interview, you know, other professionals of other different backgrounds, you know, they'll have their own separate story of, you know, what they've experienced of what they probably felt like was unconscious bias. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Loved your advice that you gave about persevering. And I think that's something that I hope our listeners will take into account. And also, I think I myself will continue to persevere as well. But as someone who now you've mentioned, you're, you've been in the supply chain industry for so long, despite your age, despite your appearance, but you've had so much experience within the industry, and I think that's so awesome. I want to hear some of the changes that you've noticed and what you kind of expect in the near future. Oh, yeah, sure. So um, there's definitely been um, a lot of economic uncertainty lately, um, as many companies have been forced to pivot some way or another in response to COVID-19. So we can definitely expect to see some changes around this risk mitigation and recovery efforts for impacting industry. But um, when thinking of the evolution of supply chain industry as a whole, there are definitely some emerging trends to pay attention to. So I mentioned earlier that digital disruption is going to continue to materialize across different supply chains. So I think there's going to be a need for more talent that meets the intersection of digital evolution and agile leadership. Going back to the example that I mentioned earlier about, you know, all those companies, those fortune companies went bankrupt. Um, in the early 2000s, you know, even with what we're ex experiencing with COVID-19 and how so many businesses, you know, unfortunately, they couldn't pivot enough because, you know, their supply chain just wasn't as resilient as it should have been. You know, when we think about the future, it's really, I think just it's just really important to just really pay attention to market intelligence and to take a proactive stance on understanding, you know, what's to come in the future as far as risk mitigation. And so um, I expect in the near future that, you know, people, they're going to learn from COVID-19, that they're going to, you know, start putting a lot of emphasis on, you know, diversification, um, and then just overall, just risk mitigation, 
um, in response to what's been going on. And then, you know, like I said, digital disruption is going to always, it's always going to materialize because technology is just evolving. When we see, you know, companies like Apple, they release some type of new technology within every one or two years. So that's an indicator within itself. So I think there really has to be a lot of emphasis on what's going on um, in the market as far as digitization. Um, And then also the talent needs to meet the expectations of agile leadership in order to lead with a more or less structured approach. Because the more structured you are, the less um, you're able to pivot and respond to those changes. Um, so definitely um, agility is going to be something to pay attention to as the industry evolves. Um, and then also talent, you know, going back to agile leaderships, what good is it to have all this sophisticated technology if, you know, your workforce or the talent is not able to, you know, utilize it? There's definitely a learning curve that's going to um, happen with the digital transformation. Going back to, you know, the generational gaps that we see in the workplace, a lot, you know, you have to kind of look at, you know, who are your native adopters, who are your, like, you know, I would like to call laggers, you know, people who are not as apt to, you know, technology and kind of survey the workforce to see how you're going to, you know, implement some type of change management to prepare and gear up for digitization. And then also, I think leadership, they have to, you know, kind of have a framework around what can we do to make sure that we're keeping up with the times? Because just honestly, traditional ROI frameworks, they just don't work. Kind of got to think outside of the box. And you have to meet with how the market is moving as far as the transformations and, you know, the different market intelligence that's going on. So we hear companies like IBM who've had Watson for, you know, some years now. And, you know, they're using AI kind of strengthen their their supply chain and put more time and effort back into customer service. And that's just one example of stuff. So as the supply chain industry, you know, continues to change and evolve, definitely digitization, definitely, you know, the impact of COVID-19 is going to, is what we're going to see materialize in the future. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. I think our supply chain listeners are definitely going to find that incredibly helpful to move forward with. So two last questions I have for you. And we kind of ask these, of a lot of our podcast guests because I think you all give unique answers. And what's the best advice you can give to someone to help plan for an enduring career rather than seeing it simply as a job? So based on your definition of a successful career, definitely try to connect with people who emulate that type of career path so you can fully grasp the ins and outs of what's required to build a sustainable future. Um, if you can, find a mentor or someone who will advocate for you and support your ambitions. Also build your network. The more people you know who you believe have impressive track records, the more inspired you'll become to push yourself to achieve your goals. Always have an idea of where you want to see yourself within the next five to 10 years. So create some type of vision board or action plan so that you can take the proper actions to turn your dreams into reality. I like to speak things into existence. So I always have a high opinion of myself, even during times of uncertainty. And I think that's important because your mental health is is, is, is important. I mean, if you kind of want to pursue an enduring career in industry. And so as you consistently feed your mind with positive thoughts about yourself, those thoughts will eventually manifest without you even realizing it because you are going to face challenges. You want to question yourself and, you know, okay, am I really as good as I think I am? You know, not everyone is going to be receptive to your skill set or what you bring to the table. And that's okay because it happens to everyone. So that's why I feel like it's important to, you know, pay attention to your mental health as well as you pursue your career. So last question If you could put one sentence on a billboard that expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? 
my personal philosophy would say that you win some, you lose some, just keep playing. You know, over the years, I had to teach myself to overcome certain insecurities and preconceived notions around my age and looks, and then kind of force myself to stay resilient. Um, so I would definitely say just always give your very best because you, you just never know who's watching and when your efforts are going to be noticed. To learn more about Rose and her recent recognition as a Thomas Next Gen for industry or read her latest publications on Thomas Insights, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Makila Tierney and Lindsay Gilder. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us to continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.